Welcome back to the Mountains and the Sea, where we find the highs and lows of each and every Prince album every other week. I'm Christy. And this is Josh. And we're so glad that you're back with us today. Today, we have One Night Alone Live. Say it like there's an exclamation point at the end. Live! Yeah! Today, we're going to talk about the first disc. We're going to pace ourselves. That's right. Disc one. It was plenty. Yeah, well, that's plenty. (laughs) (laughs) All right, thanks for joining us. (laughs) Prince's very first live album. And his only one with an exclamation point in in the title, which I respect a lot. Uh, Yeah. Use them sparingly. Okay. And Prince did. One Mm -hmm. out of 40-something. Yeah. It wasn't around the world in a day. (laughs) No. It wasn't Bat Dance. That wasn't an album, but okay. Oh, that's true. It wasn't Batman. <laughs> that it is was true. Batman. Right. Yeah. It wasn't Love Symbol, which would have been really cool. A symbol <laughs> and an exclamation mark. <laughs> and think about the Spanish version. It'd have an upside down one before it. What about he needed an interrobang somewhere? Oh, yeah. We mentioned that at some point. I think so. That's how I learned what an interrobang was. That's right. was because of you and some podcast in the past. Uh, Yes. Well, because I had talked about it on my other podcast, Killer Fun. Right. And And it bled over into this one. It it happens sometimes. (laughs) Things mesh and meld in between. They do. Back to this podcast, though. (laughs) You're right. It was Prince's first live concert release. Mm Mm-hmm. Released exclusively to MPG Music Club members uh, on the 24th of November, 2002 is when shipment started, but then it also got a proper retail release on December 17th, 2002. So if you weren't a member of the club, you could still get this. You just had to wait a little longer. You had to wait a little longer, and it was included with your membership as part of the MPG Music Club. And as we said on the last episode, you got a bonus gift of an extra copy of One Night Alone, solo, piano, and voice, and other things. Mm -hmm. This was worth the membership fee by itself. It's huge. It's a big box set, yes. It's beautiful. Yeah, ours is in like almost perfect condition. It's great. That's what happens when it sits in a cabinet for... I don't know when the last time was we got this out. No, the the corners have a little bit of wear, but it's, it's that's quite just nice. a nice patina on the cardboard <laughs> case. <laughs> yeah, so like sort of a long box, one inch thick, yeah, box, and the with, bottom of the box has a little keyboard mm-hmm. pattern around the edges. Yes, and the back has the song list tracking for yep. each album. Mm-hmm. We had it's, to. Count them up, too. It came with a 50-page-plus cover booklet inside. Yeah, you said 54? 54 if you include the cover, yes. Okay. Okay. Great photography. Really, really nice. Questionable typeface selections, but okay. It's 18 years old at this point. Yeah. But no doubt the photography was great. Uh, Some of the type inside of it, again, is difficult to read, I find. But lots Mm. of fan comments and... A few media comments as well, quotes from the band members. I think it's notable to say that he had quotes about the shows from fans, from people in the music club primarily, I mm-hmm. think. I'm sure. First, 
before he had any media reviews. And I think that's kind of telling. Yeah. And way more of them. I'm sure he had way more of those. It wasn't until pages later that he finally got to yeah seattle times yeah what what are what is the new york times Times and the village voice what do they think about this and it really shows you where he was at he was more about impressing the fans than the critics yeah uh there was one review in there that i read that was you know try to explain the eclectic mixture of new material old material Covers, which pretty much summed up, you know, the song selection for mm-hmm. all of this. Yeah. This tour itself. Yeah. We get uh, information from all the band members, which is kind of nice. Some little Yeah, like they were and... asked, what's your favorite moment of the tour? What's your least favorite moment? Mm-hmm. Candy Dolfer has a fun story in there about a turnaround event, a turnaround incident. I forget a prank that Maceo Parker and others played on her. Yeah. It's fun. It's neat to see John Blackwell's words in here as Mm -hmm. he's also passed away. Right. Um, His least favorite moment I remember reading was when the evening was over and there were fans that would still stick around at midnight and they had to move on to the next city. Yeah. No, uh, there's a little Prince, uh, here in the middle, really just saying that the big media companies are, fighting for money and not for artistic endeavors and kind of an explanation of why this might be independent rather than with the Mm -hmm. support of a Yeah, this was by far his biggest, probably most expensive, you know, independent release, not only a tour in relatively small venues and then the production, design, packaging, Mm -hmm. all of this. There's a neat story in there, too, about how this was recorded straight to a two-track soundboard recording with very minimal overdubs that was unusual for that time. Right. And I thought that was neat to read, too, from Scotty P, not Mm -hmm. Scotty B, Baldwin. Right. Right. Yeah. The photos were by Afshin Shahidi and Inam. Uh Uh-huh. Yeah, and they're beautiful. The photography is really, really well done. It is very representative of the tour, too. I remember the venue that we saw it at in Houston. um, You know, relatively small, few thousand people. uh, Very dark, very color gelled. Uh You know, lighting. Very, very saturated in color. It was Uh lovely. I remember. But it was really made to be, you know, you hear a tour named One Night Alone with Prince, and it lived up to that. Yeah. Um, I mean, obviously, there were other musicians on stage who couldn't do it all. Right, and he couldn't do it for each individual person, but a small venue, it felt really intimate. Yeah, it all fit, and I was actually... There are parts of the Rainbow Children that we discussed a couple podcasts ago that we love, especially all the music was excellent, Mm -hmm. but I am kind of glad that this turned into... One Night Alone tour, not the Rainbow Children tour, yeah, me even too. though, you know, there's a good amount of Rainbow Children material played during this tour. Right. And it was sort of supporting that album, but it was also supporting his next album, which was One Night Alone, Piano and Voice, who's kind of in the middle of like these independent releases. Yeah. And it all kind of worked. Yeah. There's a really cool, very red picture of him sitting yes. in the seats. And that's 
exactly how it was when we went into the show in Houston. For the sound check. Yeah, for the sound check. Everybody's rushing in. You don't really realize that Prince is sitting back there with a microphone like six rows back. Yeah, I remember us rushing in. The doors open and we're, everyone's running in to try to get you know in the first couple rows. And Let's Work was playing by the uh-huh. band. The band was on stage. Yeah. And no one thought to look behind them. No. Uh, so it was a very smart way for him to kind of be there directing sound and the band and he was able to sit there with basically no security and people just walked right by him and he was in the middle of the of the theater mm-hmm. well and that was kind of indicative of fans too i think um particularly at this point in time there was and for the kind of fans that were being let in early a little more respect of his personal space maybe i think if some of the people that we were with had seen him they would have oh they'd have run right over him bum rush the musician (laughs) and then the last thing i want to mention about this lovely book that was designed by sam jennings yep um is that there's a really cool WNPG origin playlist. I didn't even excerpt. know the word playlist existed in 2002. Oh. You know? Oh, you thought that was more of like a like post a sh- iPod. Yeah, exactly. Hmm. Exactly. Well, I guess the iPod was out then, so you could make mm-hmm. a playlist of songs, but Right. It was a little less of a mainstream thing in early 2002 certainly than it is now. Right. And it's just neat. It's the songs that were kind of credited as being inspiration. Yeah, Some were his. Yeah. Uh, Prince and the Time are in this list in places, but also uh, Parliament Funkadelic and... Miles Davis, Stevie Wonder, Chuck Brown. It makes me want to actually go into Apple Music and put these together in order and have them in a playlist, Mm -hmm. which I think we'll do after this podcast recording is over. I think we will. I mean, you can't hardly go wrong with a little Aretha Franklin and some Led Zeppelin and the Ohio players. I mean, it's this is a good list of songs. It is very well (laughs) curated and there for the taking. So maybe that's actually a a playlist we could put together and share with others. Maybe we'll do that. Yeah. If I can figure out how to do a Spotify playlist. Mm -hmm. You can do it in Spotify and Apple Music, so we can figure that out. Okay. I'll help you. We'll cut this part out of the podcast (laughs) if you want, in case we can't figure it out. But (laughs) I've seen other people posting them in Uh Facebook groups that are Spotify playlists, and I'm sure all those songs are in there. So I would say I'd give this book a solid, probably an A minus. Yeah. The only minus being... (laughs) He doesn't like... Uh, I'm sorry. Uh, Avatar papyrus. even went back and got rid of the papyrus uh, <laughs> closed captioning for good reason. Uh, and there are some places in here where it's difficult to read. There's a fan shot of people standing in line waiting to get into a sound check with a whole bunch of type over and some of it is almost impossible to read. Right. Um, but the photography, the size and shape of the book, all very unique. Um, mm-hmm. and a lot of care went into it. It's very obvious. Right. And then the actual booklet that goes with the disc that's, you know, the disc size booklet is just really uh, photos of prints and a track list. I wonder a little bit why they decided to separate it into a two disc package for the concert and then a separate disc for the after show and not package it as like a three disc set, disc one and two being 
the concert and disc three being the after show. But yeah, and the, doing packaging like Emancipation or something like that right. rather than the Yeah, because it is a full, it gives you the full experience of, of the tour and right. going to an after show. Right. Which is, it's beautiful. I'm whatever. And it, the packaging also included a poster. Yes, I forgot about the fold <laughs> a poster, quote unquote. Uh, yeah. You know what I'm still waiting for? It's when like, we're supposed to get a poster from pre ordering 1999, the new master? There was something about a poster there too that we've never gotten. It wouldn't be the first time something didn't show up in an order that we placed I, for Prince I Material. I don't recall. But, but the fold out poster is like a just a solo photo of Prince in the middle of a guitar, guitar solo with a fold going directly in the middle of his face. Yeah. Yeah. And it's not really, it's, it's good guitar face, but it's not a very flattering photo. (laughs) No, I'm actually a little (laughs) surprised that it came. It's just like a blown up picture of him. That is the minimum possible size to label it a poster. (laughs) I would say. Yes. Right. Yes. They're like, we already gave you a 54 page book. How much more do you want? That's actually true. Not a 54 page book. Then the photo and trackless booklet in the disc itself. And, oh, by the way, here's another sealed copy of One Night Alone, solo <laughs> piano and voice. Uh-huh. So, yeah, the poster is a nice addition. but Yeah, it's fine. It's not really frameable since it has nine folds in it or something. <laughs> like I said, one of which goes right through his face. Yeah, I guess they expect you to iron it. Can you iron paper? Glossy yeah. paper. Oh, You're yeah. going to iron that. I guess you put like a T-shirt over it. Those things aren't coming out though. They're like probably not. They're like scored. Well, now they are. Well, they've been there in this box for. <laughs> That's what I mean. Years. Like maybe if you did it like as soon as you got it, and I don't think so. I mean, it's it all mechanically be. scored. That's you true. know, so it's the paper has been pushed together to make those folds so it doesn't crack. Mm-hmm. So you don't get crack on Prince's face. <laughs> <laughs> not something anyone wants. <laughs> no. <laughs> So that about covers it for the packaging? I think so. It is solid. It is very good. Very, very solid for, um, you know, a fairly limited audience, at least at first for the MPG Music Club, and became what I'm sure was an expensive retail sale mm-hmm. in December of 2002. Yes. This is pretty representative of concerts uh, over the... F- Two discs. We're only covering the first one, but over the two discs, that's pretty representative. It does leave out covers of mm-hmm. other people's songs. It does, which I think is a shame because the covers that he selected, like you pointed out in this playlist that's listed in the booklet, were excellent songs mm-hmm. and great covers. Yeah. Maybe it was a licensing thing that they didn't want to right. pay to release, that kind of stuff. But yeah, there were at least four or five covers that he played that aren't included here mm-hmm. and a not, I wouldn't say, you know, breakthrough approach, but a unique approach of taking a handful of shows and mixing them together into one solid experience. I mm-hmm. guess he was able to pick and choose from the best, his preference of the best recordings from a handful of nine, dates, nine different shows, nine dates, nine dates, eight venues. There you go. So mm-hmm. they were, uh, mixed together to seem like a seamless concert experience, but it's obvious because he calls out DC and Indianapolis and Lakeview and right. all these other places, which is kind of fun. I yeah. think that that's very cool. I don't think that some of the best takes of these live recordings made the cut, though, because <laughs> we've got, well, first of all, we saw the Houston show. Right. Um, one of my 
favorite live bootleg recordings of Prince is the Chicago One Night Alone live show. And there was nothing selected from that particular date that made it here. Right. But we get soundboard live Prince show, which was basically unheard of from an official standpoint. Yes, pretty amazing. Yeah. Also, not only was his first live album, but the first one credited to Prince and the new power generation for like a decade Mm -hmm. since the Symbol album in 1992, which would have been 10 years earlier, which is also kind of fun. Yeah, it's great. The tour ran in the U.S. March and April of 2002. It ran in Canada from the end of May to the middle of June. Uh Uh, Europe from all of October to the start of November, and then Japan for the last half of November, 64 total shows. Nice. It was a great tour. We Mm -hmm. enjoyed it a lot. If we could have gone more than once, we would have. Uh, Yeah, Houston was the closest for us. I think Dallas was another stop on the U.S. tour. And we couldn't afford to do both because it means an overnight stay somewhere. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, We mentioned that it was largely in support of the Rainbow Children, but Mm -hmm. not totally wasn't a Rainbow Children tour. No. There were 27 tracks across these two discs and six of them are from the Rainbow Children, so less than a quarter of the songs on there are from the Rainbow Children. And a couple of them were from One Night Alone, Solo Piano, and Voice. Mm -hmm. The band. The players. Mm -hmm. Renato Neto on keyboards, Greg Boyer on trombone, John Blackwell on drums, and Rhonda Smith on bass. And then he had a varying cast of saxophone players yeah sometimes there was more than one at a show sometimes there was only one at a show and it changed around so those saxophone players were maceo parker candy dolfer and naji yep and sometimes eric leeds oh okay on other tour stops okay yeah he was part of it too cool so yeah not um, not appearing sir not appearing on this set though (laughs) no eric leeds right it was essentially the same band that he kept through the Musicology Tour and the same band that he played with uh, in his Rock and Roll Hall of Fame induction ceremony were yes. these players. So it was a long-standing lineup of the NPG, which mm-hmm. kind of had revolving doors uh, later and right. ongoing from here. But uh, this was a pretty steady group for yeah. about three or four years. Yeah, that's great. Najee. Uh, about Prince's new material and direction, because this was a change. You can tell just by looking at the photos in the book, which I didn't mention. His fashion was still very tailored, but quite toned down. He is wearing suits and very fitted and nice and very stylish, but much less uh, revealing and sexy and not no skin tight, no pulling his shirt off. Yes. And occasionally a white fuzzy toque that uh-huh. he would wear. You know, yeah. That was more casual. But yeah, this was definitely a... Everyone was pretty nicely dressed. Mm-hmm. It was almost like a orchestral kind of performance. A little yeah. less casual than that level, but certainly different than the last time that we saw him live. Right. Which was basically the Rave into the Joy Fantastic Tour we had on the skin tight blue glittery right jumpsuit and at that point was still doing the splits and doing mm-hmm. a lot more dancing and there was not a lot of that no during this tour no of course this he was... had heavy guitar duties also because there wasn't a rhythm guitar player that was up to him mm-hmm. 
Yes. Najee had this to say about Prince's musical direction. People were either with it or they weren't. Of course, live, the music always came off. It was just always dope. I'm like... That is true. Fair. You know, even if you didn't, if the Rainbow Children did not resonate with you, uh, which it was fine for us 18 years ago when we saw this live, but even listening to it now where we found, we talked about this in a previous episode, there were some some things that did not sit well with us. Uh, Nothing musically, all lyrically, but going to a live show like this, it's... You're caught up in the moment. You're seeing a musical genius, um, and the show is entertaining. Yeah. Um, it's definitely slow in parts, but it's also engaging and super fun in other parts, and there's a there's a cadence to it that keeps you involved and gives you a breather and then brings you back again. And there were classic songs being played, too, despite <laughs> him saying that he wasn't going to do that. We'll get there in a he minute. He still did it, but yeah. I would agree with that assessment that really didn't matter if you... Loved or didn't love the Rainbow Children, then there was certainly something for you to love in this concert. For sure. For sure. I'm with you, Najee. (laughs) All right. So let's hop into the music. All right. He opens up with a song from the Rainbow Children. Rainbow Children. (laughs) Rainbow Children. Not the Rainbow Children. Rainbow Children. Well, a song from the Rainbow Children. Rainbow (laughs) Rainbow Children. Children. That's not confusing at all. You know, I saw something online, and I'm sure this is ongoing among Prince fans, is what is Prince's most complex song? And I, w- I would think that this probably is among them. Musically complex, you know, all these different movements that we talked about last time. There's vocal effects and pretty deep and involved music. So I think this is one of his most complex songs. I don't think it's the most exciting song to kick off a concert with. Oh, I thought it was fine. Did you? Yeah. Well, that's what I mean. You thought it was fine. Yeah. Yeah. I enjoy it, and I do enjoy listening to it here, but I just thought of all the tours that Prince has ever done, what is the most, I don't know, difficult opener? You know, the least fun opener? Mm -hmm. This might be it. Mm. Okay, that's fair. It It did make for really good t-shirts to make to wear to concerts, though. We did make those. We did. We had t-shirts that said rainbow child on them and uh the prince symbol which he was not going by anymore so we really mixed it up (laughs) (laughs) that's right i made prince symbols out of gems yeah they were little like metal tiny little eighth inch diameter Uh uh-huh gems yeah yeah ironed on yeah yeah it was cool though get out of our way just get out of our way (laughs) (laughs) it opens with these drums and space sounds for like a minute and almost 10 seconds. Yeah. I think this is almost like it could have started at like a minute and two seconds when the drums kick in and right. the song starts. But we do get a minute of warning. <laughs> you like, know. get your butts to your seat. Now, fair, because we had been sitting outside waiting to get into the show since 10 a.m. Yeah, we waited for hours. Oh, yeah. I mean, the show started at seven. Yep. And we got there at 10 and we were not near the first in line. Yeah. Yeah. Cause it was kind of first come first serve for the sound check. And right. then that was your seat for the show. Yeah. 
I, I meant not only just serving a warning of, hey, the show's about to start, like they're flashing the light, house lights <laughs> on and off, but also fair warning, this is the type of music that you're about to hear. It's going to be That's a little off kilter, a little strange because those keyboard altered synth sound effect things were going to be a hallmark of this and what you were going to hear even on songs that he would play from the 80s that you know got that treatment Mm -hmm. so after about a minute i think you kind of understood if you weren't following prince closely at the time that this was going to be a slightly different show than you might have seen three four years earlier Mm -hmm. that's super fair then the horns come in and they play for like 45 seconds yes they do And man, he just was committed to that altered voice. He was, at least for this song. I'll give credit where credit's due. This was the only place that it was used, but he definitely was going to at least deliver a very edited version of the Rainbow Children story during this track. Mm-hmm. And he starts doing that at about a minute and 49 seconds. Mm-hmm. He's either pre-recorded it for the show or he's saying it live because he does mention DC what natural chaos ensued DC yeah I think it was all live and the reason I say that is because on my favorite bootleg concert of this in Chicago Uh the effect on his voice goes out at one point (gasps) where it's not supposed to so you hear him speaking in what should be the narrator dark deep slowed down voice and it's not. <gasps> Busted. I know. So, yeah, I think that he's delivering it live with an effect that either he controlled or someone offstage controlled. I wouldn't want to be the person who controlled it offstage and screwed it not up. Not if you messed it up. <laughs> I noticed on this when he started speaking, and mm-hmm. I don't think that you really saw Prince until, you know, a light didn't come on him until this part, that the audience starts cheering at like a minute and 49 seconds. cheering most likely because the lights have come up and prince is within view not necessarily because you're excited about what he's (laughs) he's playing or what he's saying yeah but the crowd does go a little nuts when oh there makes his first appearance yeah there were a fair few people who had not heard either the rainbow children or one night alone well, no one had Before. heard One Night Alone because it wasn't released until May of this year, of 2002, oh. the solo piano and voice. I okay. just wanted to cover it in our last episode so that we would have covered all those songs. Okay. Towards the end of this tour, it had been released and people had heard it. Right. So we did them a little, not out of order, because it was released... The piano CD was right. released before this one, but when this one was recorded, no one had heard the piano CD. <laughs> okay. Clear okay. as mud? Yeah, I got it now. <laughs> but you're you. right. I've got notes. I won't even mention it now that we're going to cover it here, but I think a lot of the cheering for the new material is not because people are familiar with it or they're anxious to hear it. It's because he's singing in a falsetto or he's doing a guitar solo. Right. And it's a live moment with Prince, not, oh, I love this song. Could you play it for me, please? Yeah, that's 
super fair. Which is, I mean, to be fair, that's also true of a lot of Prince tours. He played material that people hadn't heard yet or might not ever hear studio versions of. Right. And he liked to test it out on people and see what they thought. He sounds really happy during the chorus. Yeah, he does. Yeah, he's singing it very excitedly. Yeah, he's just happy. He just he does sounds happy. like joyful. Yes. It's just nice. It is good. It's a nice contrast to the studio version maybe sounds a little, not a little, but probably bitter. Mm, yeah, that's you know? fair. Hurt. I think it's fair. Mm-hmm. I did think the one thing missing, not just from this song, but the entire show, is he does not have a set of great vocalists with him. The only person singing right. with him throughout this song and all of them essentially is Rhonda Smith. Yeah. And I don't find her to be a great vocalist. She's better at... Super great bass player. Yeah. Um, she's backing him up, so it's essentially Prince and Rhonda you know, singing and horns mm-hmm. backing them up. Right. He's got lots, several long musical interludes. Yes. And I thought it was a little bit of a shame that as long as this track was, that he left out the third verse, the yeah. one that talks about who is your father, the yeah. everlasting one, the one who came from nothing. I'm like, that's the best part of the song. It's the most like accessible, relatable, yep. less judgmental, more welcoming, encouraging people to join you portion of this song. And he left it out of the live version. He did. They were doing more like jazz improv and jamming and that kind of stuff. And you're right. The studio version of this song is 10 minutes and four seconds. This live version is 11 minutes and 45 seconds. Mm Um, I love some of the off mic moments that that are captured here. Like at four minutes and seven seconds, you can hear Prince off the mic saying, oh, yeah, as he's playing a, a guitar solo. And he's like the band obviously can hear him very well. The mic only catches him briefly and very quietly. And then we have Muse to the Pharaoh, March 11, 2002 in Indianapolis. Yeah, it starts very true to the, or faithful to the studio version mm-hmm. with those vibrato synths that kind of go a little left and right in your head. Mm-hmm. Make me a little dizzy. A little bit. Mm-hmm. Um, but uh, he works the crowd, gets some clap into the beat. Come on, y'all. Uh. Yeah, to another song that I think that not... I would say less than half have probably heard. It's probably fair to say. I think it's great live singing, and Mm-mm. he's carrying the load by himself on this one too, which is not an easy thing to do. Yeah, very sexy sounding. Very sexy sounding, and I think again that's why the crowd goes wild in parts of this. Yeah, you know, and some, it's but something so about much. it says. We haven't heard this before. We're just going crazy because uh-huh. Prince is singing on stage right yeah. in front of us. And it sounds amazing. What is he saying? Yeah. Oh, whatever. It what did matter. he say? Yeah. I don't know. <laughs> right. It doesn't matter. It gets pretty quickly into the, um, you know, after the fairly gentle intro, a couple verses at about two minutes and five seconds, it kind of leaps into Prince's speech rapping part mm-hmm. with that simple and weird synthesizer that just kind of goes 
Queen. while he's rapping over it. Mm-hmm. The opposite of NATO is monotheism. Lays with the protection of the word of God. The opposite of NATO is monotheism. Yeah, so Which we I'm had like, a long discussion about NATO and Aten when uh-huh. we talked about the Rainbow Children. And here I'm like, well, at least he made it clear that he feels like belief in a single God is the opposite of how he feels about NATO. Yeah, which kind of leads me to think, well, okay, because NATO is a consortium of nations that aren't all necessarily Christian, that right. because they're respectful of their beliefs, that means they're anti-Christian? I, I yeah, don't know. Or if anti-right? Yeah. R- wrong? Uh, yeah. I think anti-right would be a great <laughs> way to say wrong. Anti-right. <laughs> Yeah, that's a good a so, good way to look at it. Yeah, I'm not I'm not sure. I'm not quite sure what he was getting at with this. Uh Darling Nisi on Twitter. I was a little nervous to cover this period because she's a huge fan of this uh-huh. time period and she said she has thoughts on Otan O T A N and she's gonna cover that in on her own show, Muse to the Pharaoh. At some point, so I'm anxiously awaiting her her thoughts because I'm sure she's <laughs> thought about it quite a lot. Yeah, so. yeah, and we did too. And a lot of it we loved, and a lot of it we just took a little bit of an issue to, and also some of it is confounding. So you're left to sort of wonder, probably what this crowd was wondering. <laughs> like <laughs> I'm in like, the second song in a Prince concert. I've been here 20 minutes, and now we're talking about NATO. Uh-huh. What? And what? Yeah. And the opposite of that is monotheism? What? Oh, whatever. He's about yeah. to rap, honey. <laughs> <laughs> um, right after he mentions, or he says that line, the opposite of NATO is monotheism. There's this distorted keyboard solo mm-hmm. right, after where it, right after it that Prince vocalizes with. Like his guitar solos, but this is with a keyboard solo. Yeah. And I know we love to point those moments out, so that was a great moment in the song when he's doing that. It was super cool. Yeah, like you said, he sounds very happy during and very enthusiastic, almost almost shouting during the chorus of the Rainbow Children. Mm -hmm. And I felt the same way in this song at three minutes and 48 seconds where he starts singing, would you rather be dead or be sold? Uh And he's like almost shouting it to the rooftops. Right. When all truth is told, would you rather be dead or be sold? But right before that, he says, leave nothing but ashes to the left, dust to the right. I thought he sounded like an old fashioned fire and brimstone preacher. preacher. Just the way he was delivering it. It was so... Uh-huh. He was shaking. You got to get right with the Lord. (laughs) I almost expected to hear that kind of talk. And then, but then it's, you know, followed up by that joyful, Mm -hmm. shouty delivery. Yeah. He's so interesting. Yeah. And at four minutes and 23 seconds, he raps or speaks. So there it is for all to see, as opposed to the studio version where he sings it and there's this background layered vocaling. Mm -hmm. And here it's almost more of a rap. 
speak singing approach, mm-hmm. which was kind of neat to hear different from the studio version. Yeah. So that is y'all for you to see what's beyond you and me. Other than that, it was pretty lyrically faithful mm-hmm. to the studio version, but he his delivery was interesting, and especially in the way he said queen every single time was in a deeper voice. Yes. And yeah, it was emphasized. Mm-hmm. There was an emphasis on a different syllable when he got to queen. Queen. Every time. Yeah, every time. And I thought that was notable. That and also kind of the working of that distorted keyboard part that I mentioned earlier that is actually part of the next song, Xenophobia. Mm -hmm. So musically, it was a little slower, but it works in parts of Xenophobia during his speak rap that is not in the music from the studio version, Mm -hmm. which I also really liked. Speaking of Xenophobia. It starts with an X, not a Z. Yeah. And it's the next song he plays. It is. The definition of xenophobia? Yeah. Dislike or prejudice against people from other countries. So this came up right after September 11th and Mm -hmm. the racial profiling of Middle Eastern people, which was the first time that you would hear Prince take this issue up with a race other than African-Americans. So this was a, I thought, a very open-minded approach to a very closed-minded country. Sure. Um, you know, reacting out of fear to attacks on our nation and um, the fact that it put a lot of people in the crosshairs that should not have been there just based on their skin color. So the issue of skin color and is, you know, here in this time period and it would carry over to even to musicology with cinnamon girl. Mm-hmm. So this was sort of all about that. Yeah. And it was a song that had been previewed for the MPG music club, a little snippet of it and was supposed to be on an album xenophobia then was removed and turned into expectation, a bunch of collection of instrumental songs with X as the starting letter, mm-hmm. which took a lot of dictionarying, <laughs> I'm sure. I'm sure. Like everyone sit around here, find some words that start with X. <laughs> this Did, was the one I was surprised where you noticed that it was taken from two different shows. Yeah, it's a mix of two performances, March 11th, 2002 in Indianapolis and April 30th in Portland, Oregon. I think it's maybe a little more from Portland only because he does shout out Portland. Yeah. Um, yeah. But yes, that's according to Prince Fault. Yeah, and it's, it's a, actually in the book too when oh, I was looking is. at that. Okay. So yeah, yeah that's it's a it's. it's a mix of two, yeah. which they did a great job. I can't tell. Yeah, I would guess that maybe when he calls someone up on stage, that oh. might, that might be where the difference was. Oh, but okay. I don't. I'm not completely positive. Okay, but I do love the like I mentioned earlier that this is sort of an extension of the rap portion of Muse to the Pharaoh with the same distorted keyboards and some beatboxing by Prince at the mm-hmm. beginning beginning of this. Which I liked a lot. I guess he's still setting the stage. If you haven't gotten the point after the first 20 minutes of the show that he's going to be playing what he wants, he lays it out for you here again. Uh-huh. With oh, yeah. Welcome to the power of surrender. Welcome to the power of surrender. 
Which I thought was a great way to to put it when you don't think of surrendering as something powerful usually. And I think that that was a really nice yeah. turn of phrase and something that he was feeling quite a lot as he was giving in to a new religious philosophy. That's a great point. Yeah. That there's mm-hmm. power and giving up power. Mm-hmm. There's power and having rules. There's mm-hmm. freedom and having rules. And I think he was, particularly feeling that. So I think uh, I liked how he phrased that here. Yeah. Yeah. I agree. And some of that other thing, some of the other things he was surrendering was swearing. Yeah. And being less explicit and finding new creative ways to be explicit, Mm -hmm. which we'll get to some of those ways. Yep. Yeah. For those of you planning to get your purple rain on, you're in the wrong house. For those of you expected to get your purple rain on. You in the wrong house. If you drove up here in a, yeah, a little well, red Corvette. You might be surprised what you gonna get. <laughs> you drove up in here in a little red Corvette. You might be surprised at what you gonna get. I liked the... I say liked. I found it interesting the way he phrased... See, we aren't interested in what you know, but what you are willing to learn. See, we're not interested in what you know, but what you are willing to learn. Come on, y'all. You know, the way concerts work is people pay to come see you, and they do come with expectations. Uh huh. Um, which is fair because these weren't cheap shows. No. I mean, um, they were affordable probably by today's standards, especially <laughs> with the kind of access that we got. Right. But. You know, putting people in their place when they walk into a theater and they are, you are work for hire for them at that point, right? Uh Essentially. Yeah. Um, But he's laying down the rules. Yeah. Whatever, man. Then he he has this whole thing. Don't you know dead blood kills interferons? Don't you know dead blood kills interferons? So I always thought... He, I remember him saying something similar to this, mm-hmm. and I thought it was a Jehovah's Witness thing, like okay. don't not a don't have blood, blood transfusions. transfusions. I think it's actually a vegetarian thing. I think you're right because he it's a lyric from Silicon that was on Slaughterhouse later. Yep. Um, don't you know that dead blood kills interferons, making the immune system victim. And that it's like saying that when yeah. you eat meat, yeah. that it's... any known virus can get in there. So I looked up what is an interferon. All right. They're proteins in our blood that sig- signal primarily viral infections. Okay. And so that your body can fight it. Right. So he's so, saying you eat meat, you make yourself susceptible to right. illness. Right. And I mean... I think the jury's out on that. There's not a lot of. <laughs> you don't think there's a lot of science behind I don't know silicon? I, I don't know that there is. Now, not to say that a healthy vegan lifestyle can't be very beneficial for quite a lot of people. Make you feel better, fit with your ethics. Yep. All that's great. I don't know that it really kills interferons. I don't know either. <laughs> I don't know. I know that I've eaten a lot of hamburgers since um, April of 2002 when we saw this live, and I'm feeling okay. Good. Uh, So whatever science says about that, then we're at least 
equally credible <laughs> okay. on, on meat consumption between me and Prince, yeah. I feel like. Okay. Yeah. Well, that's fine. So, yeah, I'm with you, though. If okay. you don't want to eat it, then that's fine. Yeah. And he didn't, and he also had a platform on which he could postulate about that, it. That's right. And once he's done making commentary on our eating habits, right. uh, he goes into band introduction, which is really always fun. Yeah, we covered this kind of thing when we spent a few episodes on 1994 to 1995 when he would use mm-hmm. the jam to introduce his band members and right. he uses xenophobia to do it here. Yeah, it was good. Yeah, so he goes through, uh, I mean, he's pretty complimentary too. So, oh, yeah. uh, well, first of all, he asks Greg Boyer to warm it up. Uh huh. On the trombone, Mr. Greg Boyer. Right. And then he has a fun question for Candy while Greg is playing. Say, Candy, what do you think? Does he yep. need a passport? Should we let him stay? Candy, does he need a passport? Can we let him stay? So it's this play on uh-huh. you know, looking at someone and being like, I'm not sure if you're safe to have around, Greg, <laughs> Mr. Boyer. Mr. Boyer. Then he introduces uh, Maceo, has a really fun, if you can describe it, it ain't funky. Yeah. (laughs) Say, Maceo, they try to describe funk. I don't know. If you can describe it, it ain't funky. I I like that. And then he also kind of recognizes that maybe many people in the audience here don't know who Maceo Parker is, who... Right. You know, became famous playing for James Brown, uh, played with Parliament Funkadelic and others, and has joined Prince's band. When he asked, mm-hmm. y'all know who that is? Act like you know. Say, uh-huh. Maceo, blow your horn. <laughs> I remember us chanting that uh-huh. uh, in Houston when we saw this. It was yeah, a lot was, of fun. It was very, very fun. Act like you know. Say, Maceo, blow your horn. We get a Portland shout out because, mm-hmm. you know, the audience is part of it. Right. Portland, can you hear me tonight? I uh, don't recall him introducing many people as the master, but he does it here at yeah. four minutes and 26 seconds for Renato Neto on yes. the keyboards. On the keyboards, the master, Renato And he shouts out again, another fun xenophobia kind of reference. Oh, now I know we're going to have to check his passport while he's playing all these crazy, you know, chords. Uh Uh-huh. Yeah. He's he's definitely going on the other leg of the tour with us. Right. (laughs) There's a little James Brown shout out. Watch me now. (laughs) Yeah. Watch me now. Which I thought was super fun. Uh Uh-huh. And then we get John Blackwell with some absolutely wicked drums. Yeah, he was Just amazing. Fantastic. Amazing. I mean, it's too bad you don't get to see how many times he's twirling his drumsticks during this guitar solo or uh, this drum solo because uh-huh. I'm sure he was. Oh, yes. Oh, yes. He handed out drumsticks to the. Yeah. Not, uh, I think it was during musicology. I thought it was at the end of One Night Alone. He stayed behind and was on stage and was handing them out to folks. Um, I don't remember that. I remember it being, we went to a concert in the round. 
Not what I remember at all. I remember being at the at the Houston show when he came out afterwards. But maybe he did it both times. Yeah, I just remember. I think we were in the Alamo Dome. It was the SBC Center where we saw musicology. You're right. It was, uh, but it was on the floor, and I remember walking around and him handing. uh, He handed them to children. There were a few like. Eight, ten, twelve-year-olds yep. there, and he handed out his drumsticks. Anyway, very cool. Yep. Then he so. has this fun riffing with the audience. He's t- he's asking questions of particular people. Yes, he is. Um, like at eight minutes and ten seconds is what you're talking mm-hmm. about. Is it better to give or to receive? <laughs> is it better to give or to receive? It's better to give than give up your seat. <laughs> Yeah. <laughs> like, oh. And I think he planned to pay that off with this person who gave up her seat <laughs> to the lady in red in the back when he asked her, is it better to be a leader than a follower? And uh-huh. it was probably, You should be a follower. <laughs> yeah. Which it went, and it, I mean, maybe you would know that if you had listened to the Rainbow Children. Maybe. That you should follow God. Follow Jesus, follow the word of the Bible. That's what he was kind of getting at. But I mean, also, he had spent so many years being a leader, be individual, be right, you know, be your own person, be your own person. Yep. So she answers <laughs> a leader and he says, Too bad. Yeah. Or a follower. A leader. Leader? Too bad. Who thinks it's better to be a follower? And then who knows where she ended up after that? She's probably there with someone else. The lady in the red who got her seat's probably there with someone else. And now they're listening to Prince with strangers, which is better than not listening to him at all, but still weird. Uh, so, yeah, he founds another person who, I mean, now the answer is obvious, right? Right. Who thinks it's better to be a leader than a follower? And, of course, everyone was screaming. Uh-huh. If he had asked, leader. who wants to be, who thinks it's better to be a follower than a leader then you know uh-huh. people would have answered it was kind of a leading question by the time he got to his point <laughs> and says follow me uh-huh. and i remember him doing this in houston too yeah, and someone too. got up on stage and they had you know area rugs and, and pillows yeah and, like a big beanbag chair yep. and yeah yep. you all right you need anything yeah can i get you anything <laughs> can i get you anything you can even hear someone when he asks that question. There's someone in the crowd who goes, can I get you anything? <laughs> if you listen to it closely, they're just like dumbfounded that he would add that Prince is going to serve you now. Okay. All right. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to play my guitar for you. Yeah. So at nine minutes and 47 seconds, his personal guitar solo for the follower kicks off. Yeah. And it's quite a display. Oh, yeah. It's great. Yeah, I thought it really takes off at like 10 minutes and 30 seconds, and it actually becomes fun at about 11 minutes and 14 seconds with his super fast rising notes that he's playing Mm -hmm. that you basically, you don't get to see, but you have full audio access to how this guy's hands are moving on a guitar and it's pretty incredible yeah worth a read (laughs) 
have Extraordinary from The Vault, Old Friends for Sale. Yeah. Interesting um, choice to go back to a yeah, album very, that he wasn't excited about putting out. Yeah, but had and had just recently, I mean, fairly recently put it out. It yeah. was, you know, within the last three years yeah. that, you know, it was released. And especially since the studio version was originally recorded in September 1992 mm-hmm. uh, after the Symbol album had been released. I think you can totally tell. Me too. Because it's all this, I was born to love you. Uh Uh-huh. For I was born to love you. Oh, just the faded faded love love that was so indicative of the love symbol era. Yeah, yeah. And if you ask me, go back and listen to Extraordinary, the studio version, and then listen to Damn You, which I know was one of your personal favorites (laughs) from the love symbol album. They sound like... They are cut from the same cloth. They sound like they are cousins to one another. That's super fair. I like this one better. Do you? I do. And see, I'm of the opposite. I was kind you. of like, well, I, this <laughs> is the you know redheaded stepchild to damn you to me. I like redheads. Do you like stepchildren? All the people I know who've been stepchildren are pretty delightful people. Are so. they lovely? Okay. <laughs> Great. Just to me, I think you could, you know, if you have a Prince song showdown, these two could be paired up together Uh for elimination. And And I think that's what happened uh, to a degree, maybe, (laughs) since Damn You made an album and Extraordinary sat around for seven years before making it on an Mm -hmm. album. But yeah, interesting, like you said, it's uh, not a brand new song, and it's from an album that he just kind of threw together as a contractual obligation Mm -hmm. of songs that kind of sounded like they went together from a certain time period, but it is delivered very nicely, Mm -hmm. for sure. Yeah. And the live version here is more than twice as long as the studio version that ended up on Old Friends for Sale, which was only like less than two minutes and 30 seconds, and here we get about a five minute version of the song. Yeah. Candy gets Candy Dolfer gets a full intro and a sax solo. Right. Mm-hmm. If you love her now, Miss Candy Dolfer. Yeah. From Holland. Miss Candy Dolfer. Keyboard interlude. There's some vocalizing at the end that I think is really, really pretty. Yeah. Yeah, and then I wondered, like, who was on this piano keyboard? He gives Renato Neto credit at the end, so it seems to me that Renato must have been playing all of this. Yeah, I think so. Renato Neto on the keyboards. And then we have another song from the Rainbow Children. Hey, number three, right here. Right. Mellow. Which kind of, with the exception of xenophobia, kind of continues this either mid-tempo or slow song selection for the beginning, the kickoff of this concert. Yeah, that's fair. Yeah. This one is also from Indianapolis? Yes. The last one was from Portland. Right. Yeah. This one's Indianapolis. Yeah. So we get the same simple, very organic keyboard intro to Mellow that mm-hmm. we get on the it's really cool. studio version. It's very, very cool and very clear that Prince is in no hurry to get through this song. It, hey. Bye. 
fun. It's four minutes and thirty seconds fu- yeah. of. Um, I think it's a fun. It's fun live. Oh, it's People super go crazy. Fun live. Yeah, um, and he plays with the audience a little bit. And again, this is the song that I was mentioning earlier, where he finds new ways to be to get sexuality mm-hmm. into his songs without using explicit language, but. Bringing yourself to joy, and shall I shed my attire? All these um, uh-huh. seemingly innocent lines that, when you like, wait a minute. Oh, they're, they're, yeah, they're very suggestive, but not overt. True. Yes. And not explicit. Not explicit. He changes it to Erica and Common were there. You can watch a tape of this low after party. At uh, talking about the after show, and so I went looking to see if there was Erica Badu in common yep. mm-hmm. at the same show. I couldn't find that they were at the same show, but they were both guests at Paisley Park playing shows June thirteenth and June fourteenth of two thousand one. Yep. So they were there on subsequent nights. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, I definitely think that's who he's talking about. No, I'm certain it's Erica Badu. Yep. Um, At a minute and 26 seconds, he does a little more sing sing screaming a bit with when he says, Where you want to eat tonight, baby? You know, it gets a little (laughs) more enthusiastic than what we get on the studio version, which is very subdued and seductive and simple and sweet and sexy, all those kinds of things. Where you want to eat tonight, baby? I know this dope's one another. Yep, and he's he sings the chorus very sensuously. Yes, and it gets people screaming again. I oh. think, but not because they know this song, right? But because of his performance, right? And his falsetto and his comments at like three minutes and two seconds. Shall I shed my attire? And the crowd definitely hears this that one and goes uh, yes. a little crazy. They, oh yes, they went bananas like. More for those lyrics uh-huh. than anything we've heard up to this point. Now, of course, they went bananas when he first came out. Yeah, but that's because they first saw him. Yeah, but yeah, it was all this is off. the first time that they've heard lyrics and they were like, "Oh yeah, go ahead and take it off." Sure, yeah. we support you. Yeah. Anything you desire, shall I shed my attire? And it has the same very, very dirty ending sung a cappella at mm-hmm. three minutes and 54 seconds when he sings, I'll go slow at first yeah. while you quench your thirst. And it's a super high falsetto singing. And that place is like, you know, if Sprint was around, you could hear a pin drop in <laughs> uh-huh. the room as he's singing this part. Yeah. I'll go slow at first while you quench your and it was beautifully, beautifully delivered. Yep. Beautiful. Yeah. So that was a like a very slow, deliberate song that got, I think, a great crowd reaction, especially since uh, most had not heard the song before. Right. All right. Well, on that sensuous note, we're going to take a quick break. We'll be right back. This isn't just a cult. This is a cabal. This is an assemblage. This is hurly-burly. 
This is disquiet. This is poetry. This is absurd. This is surreal. This is fiction, reality, and bedlam. This is indie music. This is art. This is treasure. This is a podcast. This is regret, elation, mysticism, headaches, heartaches, harpoons, and merit badges. This is perfect for every situation except four. This isn't just a cult, a work of real fiction. Available wherever you get your podcasts. Apple Podcasts, Stitcher, Spotify, Google Podcasts, Bullhorn, Overcast, CastBox, TuneIn, Radio Public, Podcast Addict, Breaker. Is there anything called Oracle Juice? There should be. If there is, we're there. How about SauceCast? Is that a thing? Maybe. Can I find it on Mega Megaphone? Probably. Amplitrumpet? Foghorncast? Mixipod? Dave's podcast thing? Ultra Megacast? Pod like you mean it? Podigy? This isn't just a cult. A work of real fiction. Welcome back. Thanks for sticking with us through that quick break, little intermission. Now we have one plus one plus one is three from the Rainbow Children from Lakeland Center in Lakeland, Florida on April 6th. Yeah. uh, So like you said, this was track seven from the Rainbow Children. And by the time this thing starts, I'm thinking, finally, a fast one. (laughs) Xenophobia was upbeat. But yeah. again, no lyrics. Right. And like this musical interlude and breakdown and interacting with the crowd. This is kind of the first dance number to kind of wake the crowd up. Mm-hmm. Well, and I think it was the beginning. The beat sounded mm-hmm. a little bit like Raspberry Beret to me. Oh. And I so, so I think if you were in the audience, you could have been like, so. oh, oh. Well, he said no purple rain and no little red Corvette. Maybe we'll get some raspberry beret. No, you're not going to. Although he does also get them going himself. And this is like one plus one plus one equals three parenthesis. Get the balcony involved. Oh, yeah. (laughs) Yeah. This is the song for the folks who weren't on the floor. Yeah. He calls them out at the very beginning. Y'all ready to get some exercise? Everybody in the balcony on your feet. Y'all ready to get some exercise? Everybody in the balcony, on your feet. Come on, bam. So maybe folks down front had been standing and folks in the balcony had been relaxing a little bit, yeah. especially during a song like Mellow. Yeah. That wasn't fair. called Mellow, Get Up Off Your Seat and On Your Feet. <laughs> oh, I need to talk to the ladies tonight. I need to talk to the ladies tonight. Ladies, are you in here? And yeah, went, uh, ladies, are you in here? We're about like, to get deep. Not talk with the ladies, you know, talk to, to the, the ladies. ladies. And oh, by the way, it's the ladies who need to understand about the theocratic order. Yeah. And I was like, yeah, it's a good thing this song is funky and fast because the lyrical content is 
troublesome. There are there is some mansplaining going on here. <laughs> mansplaining of man's position and mm-hmm. woman's subjection. Whether you like it or not, if you're going to be with him, that is the rule. Mm-hmm. To his credit, he delivers a troubling message in a very fun fashion. That's fair. So for that reason, this song in particular in the Chicago show, which we'll try to work in of episode down the road, is super fun and has many more breaks and guitar solos in it and a lot more playing with the crowd, uh-huh. even more fun than what is what's here, here is very subdued to me. Well, there's a fun part. Wait a minute, Pan. On the one. Yeah. Y'all ain't with me tonight. He's talking to the audience like, come on. I'm talking about theocratic order. Are you with me tonight? The earnestness with which he wants the audience to really join him on this journey is endearing. It's a little uncomfortable in its zealousness, but I can appreciate the heart behind it. He believed it. Yeah. And that's for sure. There is definitely coming from uh, the heart. Yeah. You're talking about when he says, uh, y'all ain't with me. I'm talking about a theocratic order. Are you with me tonight? And I mean, uh-huh. people, if he had done that during the Purple Rain tour, there would be confusion across the nation. Yeah. You know, it took yeah. a maturing prince in a different part of life to deliver a song like this. Yeah. I love when he says the line or he sings, I ain't really that hard to please at two minutes and 24 seconds. And Rhonda Smith says, don't believe it. <laughs> I couldn't understand what she said. I was going to ask. She says, don't believe it. And then Prince also <laughs> mutters under her. Come on, sugar. It's a very planned moment because I do that on a number of stops in the tour. If you've heard any of the audience recordings of this thing, but it's still kind of fun to hear. Yeah. There's this kind of message from him. Of course, it's different when a man is telling a, well, it might be a little different if this had been sung by a female, uh, maybe it would, it would have, have, have been, been cringy for me either way, but it still would have been different. It would have <laughs> Well, <laughs> yes, that, um, that I can't really argue with. <laughs> but mixed in with, you know, him saying, I'm not, re- I ain't really that hard to please. You know, this is very simple. And his bass player, who's a woman saying, don't believe him. I don't think so. <laughs> it's kind of fun. Yeah. The balcony gets involved again with the ooh, ooh. gets them involved with that right which was kind of funny because he was like i'm not playing old stuff i'm playing new stuff yeah do this thing you used to do a long time ago yes (laughs) like let me let me tell you how simple i am to please Uh, but don't listen to what i said about you know we want to know what you're willing to learn give me some of that old school (laughs) chanting (laughs) yes which i thought was really funny yep I thought there was a Jamie Starr moment at three minutes and 55 seconds when the band stops and he says, somebody give me another suit ready. I'm about to sweat this one out. That was a very, you know, could have been Morris Day saying uh-huh. that kind of thing. Yeah, I thought it was really fun. Somebody get me another suit ready. I'm about to sweat this one out. Um, the one thing that we didn't get in the studio version of this, we had great guitar work. And I think we talked about it being like Erotic City, this kind of fast rhythm guitar. But here we get a guitar solo. 
Oh, I get yeah. four minutes and 58 seconds. We get proof of venue. Lakeland, are you with me? Uh-huh. And we get this really great guitar solo. It's like very precisely played, but yeah. with a very messy sound. Yeah. Like the treatment on the sound uh-huh. is messy, but the playing is really precise. And it, the dichotomy of it is so nice. I it's totally so agree. Lakeland, you with me? get involved too in the guitar solo at like five minutes and 16 seconds that makes it really really fun and that's a moment that's not part of the studio version too so it's a neat additional musical part to this that um, makes it even more fun so this song almost always ran into love roller coaster on the tour but it doesn't hear Though at the end, when he says on the one, you can hear the little guitar part that's the beginning of Love Roller Coaster. Oh. You know, it's that. Uh-huh. You can hear yeah. the very first part of that when he calls out on the one. On the one. I know y'all crazy. Where you can tell it was cut, where it was about to go into Love Roller Coaster, but we don't get admission. We don't meet the height requirement <laughs> on this album to get on to the Love ride. Roller Coaster. <laughs> we have to go to the other side of the pillow. Uh-huh. From The Truth. Right. And this was also from the Indianapolis show. It's deep cut. I think everything from the truth is kind of a deep cut because it, for sure. Well, first of all, only, even if you bought the the crystal ball collection, the truth was disc four. So yeah. even if you had it, it took a lot to get to it. <laughs> but I do regret that we haven't covered the truth just yeah. yet. And of course, we will. But we uh, kind of compared it to the yin to the one night alone solo piano and voices yang. We've got a very piano-driven album in that one, and this was an acoustic guitar-driven album, although they might as well have called it solo acoustic guitar and voice because it would have been just as accurate for the (laughs) truth as it was for One Night Alone. Right. But yeah, we slow down again right after this, and he says, I got to do something for her right here. And then he counts it off, and it's very sensual and Mm -hmm. playful, and I thought it fit really nicely into the concert playlist, if you will. This was yes. a great moment in the in the song. There's some really fun playing with the uh, band here. Mm-hmm. <laughs> got Greg up there doing that sleazy dance. Yep. I know you got something for me. Yeah, you dancing like that? I know yeah. you got something for me. <laughs> yeah. In other words, you're dancing. I got to hear you play some. Yeah. You dancing like that? I know you got something for me. Great. I like it again. These off mic moments of Prince, which he had always in his concerts. It just happens to be this is the first one that we've gotten officially at two minutes and thirty seven seconds. Prince is encouraging the band. Come on now, come on one more. You know, and that's right before he calls out Greg doing that sleazy dance. The other thing I wanted to point out since we haven't covered the truth or the other side of the pillow yet was I thought I knew where that phrase came from and I wanted to verify it and because I thought I knew where it came from and then I thought, well, no, that can't be right. I'm sure he, this it came from somewhere previous to that. But I was right in thinking that the other cool as the other side of the pillow 
is a phrase coined by Stuart Scott, who used to be an ESPN anchor before he passed away in uh, January 2015. Early in his career, he did this during the 80s, and when he joined ESPN and did SportsCenter, he was one of the earliest guys and women who made, you know, sports highlights fun and Uh even more entertaining than just watching him. And I remember him showing basketball highlights and saying things like, Oh, Michael Jordan is cool as the other side of the pillow. And he worked it into like almost every broadcast. And that is the, where the phrase came from. That's cool. I had no idea. Neato. He does this really cool kiss and awe sound and, Ah, uh-huh. It's really fun. Yeah. Just cool. The other side of the pillow. Nice. Live. Yeah. I mean, there's Playful, a lot of what you, you could label a lot of the tracks on here as almost loungy. Yeah. I think you could do that with Extraordinary because of its, like I said, it's sort of a sister to or a cousin to damn you. Right. Uh, Mellow is a little bit loungy mm-hmm. cool as the other side of the pillow here is a little bit loungy but it never quite crosses the line into cheesiness right. it's more playfulness and fun right so i think that he did a, he did a good job of tiptoeing that line throughout a number of songs on the first disc of this album mm-hmm. because it is not a giant jam session from start to finish no and then he rolls right into strange relationship also from the indianapolis show which I think as soon as the crowd, more people in the crowd probably knew this song than any other song played thus far. For sure. Um, and as soon as you hear that drum beat, ding, 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 You know what song it is. If you're a Prince fan or had been a Prince follower at all, mm-hmm. this is probably the least of the deep cuts so far in the show. Right. WNPG on the stereo now. WNPG on stereo now. Yes. Yeah. He definitely loved pretending to take over radio stations <laughs> and being DJs during this time period. Yeah. He found a lot of joy in that, of spinning, you know, stuff that it's right for the soul of the community that he's in mm-hmm. and not programmed by Big Brother. Right. So this was a another song that we have not covered on the album. It was on track it was track three of disc two of Sign of the Times. Right. Um, but also was it's not the first time that it had been released as a live track. It was um, released from a March 21st, 1987 performance at First Avenue with the Sign of the Times band as an NPG Music Club download. Cool. And it dates back to 1982, 1983. Okay, so like pre-revolution era. Yeah. Song. It was all he played it um, on the piano and a microphone. 1983. A disc that was released a couple years ago. Yes. There is an older version of the song that has sitars in it and all kinds of crazy stuff going on that he removed um, before it was put on Sign of the Times. Mm-hmm. He's a little nasally in this, but in the very best way. More than that, I hate to see you say, no, no. That's how it is on the album version, yeah, too. Almost was... every time he sung, he sang this, it was yeah, uh, he sang from it a nasal tr- cavity. Yeah. Yeah. Sing out his nose. Right. Almost out his eyes. <laughs> <laughs> that would be a trick. Well, just wait till we get to eyelid solo and <laughs> voice. <laughs> I think you're crazy if you have not heard 
strange relationship before. I think we can probably reserve the lyrical analysis until we get there. But needless to say, it is a fun, well-written song about loving you so much that I want to do you cold. Right. That kind of thing. Oh, yeah. Well, and I didn't even go into lyrical content at all. Okay. But like his, the dope, dope, dope. Singing is uh-huh. really cool. Yeah, and that's in the studio version. Uh-huh. He's got these uh, groans that really highlight the dichotomy of the song, uh, how, like, irritated and but still in love he is, which is super fun. Yeah. <laughs> he shouts out, Rhonda. Yeah, you're, you're killing me. me with that bass. <laughs> You're killing me with that face. You're killing me. And then there's... He does it more than once. Like at three he, minutes and 19 seconds. Mm-hmm. And then at three minutes and 40 seconds, he yes. does it again. Uh-huh. Where it's really broken down, just bass and drums. And I think even the audience can appreciate what's happening, you know, live that she's yeah. playing this thing. And it's good. It's, it's really good. super cool. And then the uh, there's uh, Clap Your Hands. Bass and drums. It kind of had a past piece vibe to me. Yeah, which yeah. is a shame. Another cover that's not on this song. I would have rather actually heard "Pass the Peas" on this than maybe "Xenophobia." Don't Ooh. kill me. Oh, don't kill me. Oh, I loved wow. "Pass the Peas." I loved "Pass the Peas" too. It was great. "Pass yeah. the Peas," "Pass the Peas," <laughs> "Pass the Peas." What they used to say. It was great. Yeah. So before this song even comes, or before the track ends anyway, at like four minutes and ten seconds, Prince makes it clear the party's going to go on. He says, we ain't through with y'all yet. Hit me, John. We ain't through with y'all yet. Hit me, John. And we roll roll right into When You Were Mine. Mm -hmm. Which is a great uh, segue because that's from the Hollywood show on April 20th. Yeah. They're not from the same venue, but they it's great. Very it's cool nice, transition. Very smooth. Yeah, definitely well put together. Yeah. I dare you to sit this one out. Yes. I dare you to sit out on this one. One, two, three. Another surprise for this show is kind of a kind of dirty, kind of a throwback. I mean, I don't think you expected a recently proclaimed I'm not gonna swear anymore prince to play something from Dirty Mind during right. a one night alone tour primarily in support of the rainbow children these things do not go together no they are oil and water no talking about sleeping with a girl who doesn't change the sheets in between her lovers yeah and but this is a concert favorite he loves playing this song live for sure i was looking for gw turn the lights on yeah i was gonna ask if you knew who that was gw turn the lights on at the entire staff of the One Night Alone tour, and the only person with the initials GW in lighting was Gary Westcott. Okay. But he's listed as the lighting director for the European leg of the show. No one on the U.S. leg has the initials GW, huh. let alone someone on the lighting So that's staff. a mystery. Well, if you, dear listener, know who the GW is, whom he's referring to, we would love to know. You can find us on social media and let us know on Facebook, 
The Mountains and the Sea, a Prince podcast. You can find us on Twitter at TMATS, T-M-A-T-S podcast, or you can send us an email, tmatspodcast at gmail.com. If you know who GW is, tell us. We want to know. I think Gary Westcott was getting a tryout during the oh, show. That's okay. my theory. I okay. have absolutely zero facts. If anyone can confirm or deny. Right. I thought the while this entire song is great from start to finish, my favorite part is at 2 minutes and 20 seconds when he asked the rhetorical, can I play my, my guitar a little bit? <laughs> yes. And we get a guitar solo, which is awesome, fun, and amplified by, I think, a somewhat subdued show thus far. This is like old prince all of a sudden uh-huh. you know that we're watching and hearing right. can i play my guitar a little bit uh, but that guitar solo is nowhere in the original song no but it's awesome which is great and there's even a part where it's just prince on guitar delivering lyrics almost alone during this which is also a neat moment on the disc he does this cool mouth pop in the middle of a line, yes. which I'm like, that's so cool. I can't hardly do that when I'm like talking. No, let alone singing, <laughs> playing guitar. If I do it in the middle of talking, it's a mistake. <laughs> Whoops! I just mouth clicked. <laughs> Excuse me. Then we have the last song on this disc. From Portland on April 30th, Avalanche. Yes, or if you are very upscale, Avalanche. (laughs) (laughs) So obviously, if you've listened to this podcast, you heard us cover this on our previous episode where we talked about uh, One Night Alone, solo, piano, and voice. This was track seven Mm -hmm. on that disc. That disc was released on May 14th, 2002. This concert was recorded on the 30th of April. So that means that not a single solitary soul in the audience had heard the song before. So what you hear Prince singing is the first intake from these people, these fine people in Portland, Oregon. Right. And it takes him a long time to get to any lyrics. It does. There's this piano, drums, and sax intro. Very, very slow. So again, we go back into this very subdued, ballad-oriented first disc. Mm -hmm. And these horns really fit this kind of mournful song. Yeah. We kind of compared it to like a spiritual song, a church spiritual, you know, a little bit. Yeah. Yeah. And it definitely starts out that way. I thought the sax and drums and piano worked, you know, really well. I don't think that anyone knew what he was singing about until he spells it out at two minutes and 40 seconds (laughs) when he sings Uh Abraham Lincoln was a racist. And you hear a few people like... Hoot, so you can tell they've been maybe reading some of the same things that Prince has been reading. Or just paying attention and being like, yeah, okay, uh I'm with you. Uh Uh-huh. Abraham Lincoln was a racist. Who said... But there's not a big eruption. No. I think it was... I remember hearing this and being like... What? Yeah, I would say half of those few people who started cheering after that line um, maybe were familiar or might have felt the same way or, you know, hadn't even thought about it, but just thought as an African-American person, I've 
I'm tired of hearing about how great Abraham Lincoln is because I think that there's more to the story than that. Right. And they're not wrong. They're not wrong. And then the other part of it is these people are cheering in reaction to his vocal delivery and being soloed on stage with a piano and, you know, a little bit of drums and horns. Right. And it's beautiful. Yeah. And completely live and raw and in the moment. He leaves out all the stuff about Duke Ellington and John Hammond. Yeah, which I actually re-listened to this morning to make sure that I didn't miss something in my notes, like listen to Duke Ellington and his band kick another Jungle Jam. I think that could have resonated with a crowd like this who would be familiar with historical music, that kind of thing, but it was omitted. Right, which I think is kind of a shame because I think that was more of a salient point to what he'd been making. But I think really what he wanted to do was make a statement that historical heroes aren't as heroic as history would lead us to believe Yeah, that, you know, sometimes you need to look more closely at things or look at it from a different point of view. Yeah. But you're right. His view, you know, which had been longstanding by the time 2002 ran around on the music industry and the, uh, mm-hmm. corporation aspect of entertainment is something that did not sit well with him. And that was the part that was cut out of. Right. Which I thought yeah. was really interesting because he spent so much of the nineties, you know, going, he, he was that weird artist who changed his name. Yep. Like why not bring all that to this, your first concert yeah. time that you're now that you're Prince again, now that you're a free artist, I mean, that explains it a little more. Yeah. I don't know. But he just, um, that wasn't the I, one he wanted to talk about. I think it's fair to say Prince was an unparalleled mus- musician, yes. not an unparalleled explainer of things. <laughs> fair. He would, you know, make a point and move on. And sometimes the point didn't even follow the direction that he went next. Yeah. Well, um, that's fine. He'd moved on to something else. He was studying something else. This is a snapshot of where Prince was. Yep. Not a snapshot of the music industry. Yeah. It's ju- it's just, I mean, it's just a different it's a choice he made, which is fine. He's certainly allowed to make it. Yes. And now we get to choose. Yeah, that's in right. In the rules that you have set up for this podcast. That's right. I do. We choose three things. We choose a time capsule, something that exemplifies the time period at which the music was recorded or when it was released. We choose the C, the S-E-A, the low point for us. And we choose a mountain, the high point for us. That's why we're the mountains and the sea. Are you serious? Oh, hey. Okay. So my rules, I go first. Time capsule. For me, it was the rainbow or rainbow children. Oh, good catch, man! That definite article just (laughs) reveals people as not a detail-oriented Prince fan. Rainbow children, because it's nearly the title, close of one of the two albums he was supporting, Um, and the really long instrumental sections Mm -hmm. are, I think, something that was a little different about concerts going forward he'd had long instrumental sections before but i think it just became a little more prominent because he wasn't really he wasn't answering to anybody yeah there was no producer saying hey we got to get these tracks in and right this was yeah all his 
doing whatever he felt like. Right. There was no... There was no Warner Brothers producer who was saying, okay, yes, you can tour and support this, but you had to play these songs because they were hits. There was none of that. There was, it was Prince doing what he wanted to do and these long instrumental portions and things like Xenophobia, which were, hadn't been released yet. Well, and all of... Forever. Yeah. Well, all of One Night Alone, solo piano and a voice hadn't been released yet. Yeah. And he could play any any of it, all of it, whatever sure. he wanted. So that was my time capsule. All right. Uh, for me, it was not the entire thing, but Xenophobia, where he ad-libs, you've been randomly selected to be searched. You must remove your shoes. <laughs> you must remove your shoes. That, I mean, that was, uh, of course, a nod to the attacks on our country of September 11th and how it changed travel throughout America at that point. Do you remember when having to remove your shoes was the greatest disruption to our daily <laughs> lives back in late 2001, early 2002? I remember it was one guy who tried to hide a bomb in his shoes badly that yeah. made us all still have to take off our shoes to this day. Yep. I do remember that. Yeah, but that's that specific line is what told me, oh, this has to be you yes. know, close, closely related in time to September 11th, 2001. Right. That line in yeah. particular. So yeah. it screamed time capsule to me fair all right the c the thing that we like the least let's hear it as funky as it was one plus one plus one is three <laughs> i just i need to talk to the ladies uh-huh, one time is i just i just couldn't i couldn't get beyond that that it wasn't a mutual talking to people it was i gotta tell the ladies how it is and it really rubbed me the wrong way. It might as well have been, I need to talk at the ladies one time, (laughs) I guess. (laughs) Yeah. I just, I just couldn't with this one. I mean, as funky and cool as it is, as much fun as it is to dance to and bebop along to. uh, No, I I think that's why Prince loved that song is like, there's this message that he knew was not going to sit well with a lot of people. Even though he fully believed it, I think, in his heart and his mind. And, you know, complimenting that with the kind of music that uh, the people who had followed him for 24 years by this time would want to hear. And kind of melding those things together, I bet, gave him a lot of pleasure. Yep, probably. What's your C? My C. Also xenophobia. Oh, okay. But not the whole thing. (laughs) the entire is it better to give or to receive is it better to be a leader than a follower these trick questions that he had set up even though i think his intention was for one person to say uh it's better to give that person gives up their seed gives someone else a better seed i think he fully expected someone to say better to be a follower and then him to say okay follow me and the same person uh-huh. got the reward of being on stage <laughs> the and poor thing this poor screwed. person just got tricked by you know obviously not being in the same headspace as prince at this time <laughs> and i just thought it was very off-putting to i don't know 
someone paid good money to be within range to be addressed by Prince. Uh-huh. And then essentially... Got kicked out. The answer that he gave her, leader, too bad. Really. I mean, if that had been me, I would have been seriously pissed. Oh, yeah. So, yeah. for that reason, that's my C. Okay, that's super fair. <laughs> All right, and then the mountain. I really enjoyed Mellow here, just how fun it was. Even though it was slow and mm-hmm. mellow, I like how it almost seemed like the way when he delivered Shall I Shed My Attire. Anything you desire, shall I shed my attire? Almost made me feel like he kind of had that in mind when he wrote that lyric of performing it live. What oh, will, how will this how will this go over if I perform it live? Yeah. People are going to go bananas. It's sexy now. It's sexy on the island on the the island. It's <laughs> it's <laughs> it's sexy on the album and it's going to be super fun in concert. It's going to get a big reaction. Right. People are going to like it. So I'm sure you're right. You know, anything where I feel like he was thinking about what the live performance is going to be like when he was writing it and when he was recording it is joyous to me. Great answer. How about you? My mountain. Also xenophobia, but not all of it. (laughs) (laughs) The guitar solo for the woman who eventually answered correctly after being led to be told, you should answer with a follower. The guitar solo that follows that, I think, is equal to what everyone raves about him doing at his Rock and Roll Hall of Fame introduction ceremony. Okay. It is awesome. I went, It's probably the part of this, definitely the part of disc one that I've listened to the most. And I was like, uh, hey, Siri, rewind two minutes. Yeah. And I would say that over and over again before I would get through this entire song. Um, so there, my time capsule, my sea, and my mountain <laughs> all the are all trick. the same song. <laughs> but different parts. That's great. But not all of it. Yeah. Yeah. That's excellent. So, so uh, it's probably no surprise where we're headed next. We are headed to One Night Alone Live Disc 2. I would like to point out that it has two exclamation marks at the end of One Night Alone Live Exclamation mark, exclamation mark. <laughs> Just to indicate the Just second to disc. Indicate disc two. Oh, that's if cool. If you want to group them together correctly in your music library, you have to go in and make them the same album name and do it, you know, disc one of two and disc two of two. Oh. And that's something that I did when I came back to review this because we ripped these CDs and put them in our music library in 2003. Yeah. I believe. Yeah. So, yeah, I had to do some reorganizing to get it to work. <laughs> So that's where we're headed next. Awesome. All right. Sounds great. Thank you so much for listening. We know that you make a choice when you listen to us and we so appreciate it. And we have loved, loved, loved hearing from so many of you, especially concerning our rainbow children and one night alone coverage. It seems like we've uh, hit on something there. So we were able to help with some uh, understanding and freedom to disagree and so we're glad to do that. But, you know, hey, it's way more fun when you can listen with a friend. So tell a friend. 
rate and review. If you can give us five stars, that really does help us get found. If you can't tell us why, we'd love to know. We want to make this an enjoyable experience for you. I can't guarantee that we'll change things just to make you happy, but we will certainly take it under advisement. We want to know what your problem really is. (laughs) Thank you for listening. And until next time, happy purple listening, friends. Thanks for listening.